morning. Best day ever. That was a that was a ten on the normal good morning back to pastor at the start of a sermon. Good mornings. He's like, good morning. you all had your coffee early this morning. Good morning. We are excited. Even better. You're overachievers this morning, church. I'm excited to have you preaching this morning. My name is Pastor Scott, and thankful to be preaching on the best Sunday ever, the best day ever, with Dax's baptism coming shortly. Um, this will be a, a hopefully short sermon, but it'll be a challenging sermon for us on a very appropriate topic, which is why baptism. We're getting into this why series, and why meaning we're answering your questions about things of theology, about things outside even the realm of the Bible. And so here's a quick pitch for next week. The question we're going to try and delve with, which I'm just going to let Pastor Mike just do all the talking, I think, on this one. If there are aliens, does Jesus love them? <laughs> Such a good question. Anonymously, whoever said that, thank you. There have been so many great questions uh, that we were going to be wrestling with over the next coming five, six weeks. And there's several that we will delve into, and then some we will save onto for the next time we do this kind of series. So if you have a late 11th our question. You can put it in the offering pyramid. On the other side of that insert that you came as you walked by and asked for wise counsel nominations, if you have prayerfully considered yourself or someone else being nominated for wise counsel, um, talk to myself, talk to any of our wise counsel representatives. It is a place where you get to be my boss. And, uh, and prayerfully, it's a spiritual board. It's not a business board. It's a spiritual board where we can wrestle with all the ways in which God is calling us to be salt and light in the city of Tallahassee and in the world. Please put those in by May 15th, okay? I'm going to say that May 15th, and you repeat after me. May 15th. You're so smart. You just, and is there anything this congregation cannot do? We're going to see you in a moment because we're going to play a game. This game is called This or That. This or that, okay? The questions are very simple. Everyone's a contestant. I'm going to say two items, and I say one, two, three, and then you repeat what your preference is, either this or that. Are you ready to play? Is the earth flat or is the earth round? One, two, three. There's, there's one, okay? Overwhelmingly round wins, okay? You can be mad at me later if you're a flat earth, okay? We can talk, we can talk. Would you rather eat key lime pie? I was waiting for somebody to go, mmm, and I got one, a faint one over here, or somewhere over here, or worms. One, two, three. <laughs> Who said worms? <laughs> Who said worms? <laughs> if you had to choose, and you can't say neither, it's this or that, you have to root for the Dallas Cowboys. There's a groan, okay? I was waiting for the groan. <laughs> Or the New York Yankees? Oh, even more. Has to be one, friends. You're playing the game. You've already done two questions. You're a lose if you say neither. One, two, three. Wow. <laughs> Who said Seminoles? That's not on here. Spend a day with Ryan Reynolds. Would you rather eat? Do you want to do the extra one? Ryan Reynolds or George Clooney? Oh. One, two, three. Wow. Really? Some of you young people are like, who's George Clooney? Would you rather eat tacos or burgers? One, you have to wait for three. One, two, three. Tacos wins, just ever so slightly. There are nuances to all of our theology. 
And if I would start getting into theological topics, I'd say, would you rather do, you know, communion or baptism? And would you rather take communion by a hunk of bread or a little tiny cracker that tastes like nothing? Yeah, hunk of bread, I know, I'm with you. But there's ways in which we have these subtleties in our own theologies. And while we say as a church oftentimes that, hey, all are welcome and it's only in Jesus, we have these preconceived notions about what is right in church and what just kind of is, is I don't know. I don't know about these kind of things. Why baptism? is because we're commanded to by Jesus, by the Great Commission. Jesus says in Matthew, he says, go therefore and baptize people in my name. He, the baptism is very clear. But Jesus doesn't give any other quite discerning points of contact of how to baptize. For example, can we baptize somebody in nacho cheese? Ooh. And now Dax is reconsidering everything, okay? <laughs> nacho cheese baptisms in church. Or can we, do, can, can we baptize somebody only in a certain amount of water, a certain type of water? Do we have to say certain liturgies when we baptize someone or it doesn't count? It's also awkward because baptism is a moment in our lives where we are put underneath the water or some of us have been sprinkled by water. But some of us would say, I wish I would have some sort of identifiable outsideness of my baptism so that everyone can see that I have been baptized. I mean, wouldn't it be better is if we were Christians, we all had to wear this uniform? Look on the screens. That'd be easy, right? You say, oh, here comes the Christians. They're easily identifiable because no one else in their right mind would dress this way. And sorry if you came to church dressed like this, okay? Or the challenge is, is that some of us do choose to wear as an outside outfit that we are a portion or a, a, a member of a Christian religion. Or like, example like this. The challenge is, is that some of us are Christians and we'd rather dress like this. There we go. <laughs> the challenge is, is that there's nothing about baptism that permanently changes our outside. No halo gets put on our, our head after we come out of that water. In some sense, though, there's a physicality towards being dunked into the water that is so important. So, so necessary. We identify as a Christian through the act of baptism. In many ways, it is, as many would state, the outward sign of an inward belief. Interestingly, Scripture doesn't say how much water is enough, the quality of the water, the age of the person to be baptized, or any other information about baptism. And yet, and yet, these are the details that modern churches seem to be infatuated with. I've been a part of churches where they said, have they had the class? The class. If you don't take the class, you can't be baptized. Do they have their testimony exactly lined up? And can you see the moment where they accepted Jesus in their life? That's not necessarily true with some people. More of a gradual changing in their heart. Are they getting baptized on baptism Sunday? Because if you get baptized on a Tuesday, it just doesn't count. And then the this or that question that's always divisive is better to sprinkle or to dunk. See, with baptism, among many other things, we play this or that with theological concepts and assume that our view is correct and assume that it is a majority one. Even on topics like worms or key lime pie, there's always the guy who likes the worms. Even on topics that are painful, we have to choose either the Yankees or the Cowboys in our paradigms. Those are both evil empires, horrible teams, right? Thank you. I knew I loved this church for a reason. Have, there's somebody here, I'm a cowboy fan. Well, I'm sorry. Jesus still loves you. Jesus still loves you. 
<laughs> I'm going down too much of a road here. We take the importance and the necessity of baptism and lock it into our one of only way of thinking that my way is somehow correct. Yet today, as we prepare to take part in baptism, with a person proclaiming their faith and joining the covenantal people and also the sacrament of baptism, we are called to do this, we are told to do this, we are instructed to do this. I want to stretch all of our theologies and discern our hearts as we are baptized for the right reasons, for the right time, based on Scripture. Because here in Acts chapter 19, we find some who are surprised in Scripture and some who are even, I believe, shocked that they weren't baptized correctly. Now, this may sound like a trap. (laughs) And in some way it is. And this is from Star Wars, in case some of you aren't Star Wars fans. I didn't do this for that on that. This sounds like a trap, and in some ways it is, but I'm here to challenge each and every one of our theologies of baptism as we delve into Scripture here this morning. So with that in mind, let's get into Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. We're in the middle in Acts of Paul's missionary journeys. Paul is the greatest missionary that you've ever seen on this planet. I don't think anyone will ever go past him. Even the great Billy Graham couldn't touch what Paul did because if Paul had what Billy Graham had in terms of resources, whew, we'd all be Christian. <laughs> I mean, Paul, Paul was on fire for the Lord and literally blinded by the Lord. He comes and shares the gospel with so many infant churches and the books in the New Testament called Ephesians come from places like Ephesus. The book of Philippians comes from places where he ministered called Philippi. And over and over and over, Paul makes these infant Christians cities, but he bases them in a place that's not very friendly to Christianity. For example, Ephesus was home to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. We see that that there's an altar there that we see to it, a Roman god that is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, unbelievable paganism. And so Paul coming in saying there's one god who comes in the form of a human who dies on a cross but is resurrected is just total nonsense to them. We see that in the ancient world, Ephesus still maintained political importance and huge idol worship. The temple Artemis is located in this city. But Paul comes across some of these infant disciples. We don't, again, don't know why he knows they're Christians per se. There's ways in which they identified in the ancient world. But he sees that he knows that they are following Jesus. And in verse 2, he asks them this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit, verse three. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. The question assumes two things. First, they thought they were believers. They thought they were baptized. But secondly, that Paul held the mark of a true believer as having the indwelling of this thing called the Holy Spirit. We see that this Holy Spirit is one of those ambiguous and hard things to wrap our minds and impossible to wrap our hands around Christianity. I mean, everybody look over at this cross. If you're at home, pretend you're looking at the cross. This cross is physical. We can see it. We can understand that Jesus was crucified to something similar to it. The water here is physical. We can see it. We can taste it. We can be dunked in it. These physical representations are easy, but the Holy Spirit is not tangible. It's a dynamic third part of this trinity where you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And you know what, friends? Churches really talk, rarely talk about the number three. We're, we're scared of it. We can't control it. 
And in my opinion, most churches, most denominations try to create rules and regulations to herd in the spirit and to control it so we can make sure we make sense of it and don't let the spirit do what it wants to do. The third spirit is the third part of the Trinity. It gives encouragement, it gives words, it gives insight. And friends, Scripture over and over and over says it is a seal of your salvation. The Holy Spirit signifies, just like our slide of the, the goofy guys dressed up in the armor, the Spirit, if you have the Spirit, it shows that you are a member of God's family. The Spirit is not just one of these. It cannot survive in isolation. It's power. It's preference, and the proliferation of the Spirit of God has been sucked out of the Western church, though, due to bad politics, bad theology, and an attempt to control it. We see that what the Spirit wants, what the Spirit wants is transformation. And what we see the difference is, is similar to what we see in the slide in front of us here this morning. See, kids often play being an adult. We, 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 we love watching kids play to be an adult because in their minds, it's such a, a creative way of figuring out who they want to be. And obviously, these kids are playing doctor, right? One kid's helping the other kid out. But I would not let this child do a arthroscopic surgery on me. Would anyone be interested in open-heart surgery from this little kid? No, because they're playing, a person who's gone through med school, who's done all the work to become an actual legitimate doctor and has an MD, they've gone through the transformation process of becoming an infant to a full functioning adult. Many of us who are in our infancy of Christianity, we play the game, we come to church when it feels comfortable or when it's a good Sunday for me to feel like I'll feel good about what I'm doing in my life. But we don't want the transformation process to be a fully developed Christian. The process from becoming a child to an adult in faith, that's the Holy Spirit. We have a fancy word in Christian theology called sanctification. And we said, me, we see this in verse four now, back to the passage. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in one coming after him. That is Jesus. Verse five, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. In Paul's mind and in Luke's description, this isn't a rebaptism, but this is a true first baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's also a clear distinction between water baptism and more important piece to baptism, the coming of that Holy Spirit. There's a contrast between the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus Christ, which is found in spirit. Over and over and over, we see that John's baptism is in water, and it's important to have that component of water, to be immersed fully, taking a part in Jesus' death and then resurrection coming back out. But we see that in Jesus's, it's not about repentance, it's about submission to him. We see the result is an inclusion in belief, and in Jesus's, it's about speaking in tongues, prophecy, power, and overall transformation. As I've aged, I've realized and noticed more that there's a visible distinction between those who attend the church, even baptized in church, and those that have the Holy Spirit in and among them. Why is this important? That's a whole sermon series by itself. The Spirit of God is most powerful, most changing, and the part of God we see the modern church spend time with the least, that we need the Spirit-driven church 
to overcome any obstacle, to transform and giving a new life to every single person, to unlock gifts and abilities in that person's, and frankly, to scare the hell out of them. Yes, I'm very proud of that last line. So why baptism? Because the physical act of submission boldly and communally invites the spirit in and transforms a person fully, wholly. Baptism isn't a one-moment thing. It's not a singular event. It says my life is no longer my own and that God is my all in all. I've seen infant baptisms place the spirit of the Lord upon parents who decide to offer up their infant. Similarly, teenage confirmation can bring the same spirit. Though scripture and doctrine differ, this or that, the allegiance of the spirit does not allow you to play this or that as an essential or non-essential in the Christian faith. It is when we say yes to the spirit that is known and noticed, and there are consequences that from a theological perspective. Today, as we begin to transfer over to this time of baptism, I'd like to analyze your own life. As you watch Dax make proclamations, to analyze your own heart about where does my baptism come from? Tradition? Someone else? Wanting to be a part of a club? Or does it come from a desire to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? Today, we see a young man who by all evidence is being transformed and sanctified by the Spirit. I joked with him, are you ready to preach your sermon? And I could tell he was thinking about what he would say. But I'm not asking him to preach a sermon. We're asking him to be incrementally changed by the Spirit through every single day of his life. And to say, I'm ready to be a part of that. To have that outward sign of this inward decision. Dax, I'm proud of the young man that you've become. And can't wait to see where the Spirit's going to lead you as you grow in your entire testimony. With that, let's turn our attention to the screens for his baptism video. <laughs> 